I'll tell you the funny thing, Faith. My first time going to Wait Wait, no idea what it was. Airplane mechanic turned comedian Alonzo Bowden is the kind of guy who can walk into a comedy news show he's never heard of and stay a while. Welcome to Wait Wait Naked and Ashamed. I'm Faith Saley. All my agent told me was, it's a comedy news quiz show. And I was like, okay, I got it. And I just rode my comic instincts. And at the end of the show, Peter was like, that was fantastic. And I was like, oh, great. White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel is coming back to Chicago to run for mayor. There are some obstacles to that goal. First, as a relatively young man, Mr. Emanuel doesn't know enough dead people, an important demographic in Chicago. (laughs) What kind of name is Rahm? Is that short for something? Romper or something? Well, I was waiting to see his birth certificate. Yeah. Yeah, in Chicago, people were like, I don't know, he was born in Iowa. I'm pretty sure of it. So is Chicago ready for this, like, ballet dancing? I don't know, he's a little bit um, fancy. He's a little bit fancy. Don't you think he's a little fancy? Well, I think it's time Chicago upgraded their criminals. <laughs> That's true. So in general, it's not a big deal to you to prepare for Wait, Wait. And you went on the show without ever having heard it or really heard of it. Do you, Alonzo, do you ever get nervous about anything? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, generally, the first time I do something, I'm nervous until I get the first laugh. And then it's like, oh, okay. But again, I've done other panel type shows and you just figure out how to work with the other panelists. I don't like the panel shows where everyone's competing for airtime trying to yell over each other but on wait wait it's great because everyone respects everyone else and can you kind of let you do your joke and then i'll do mine tell me tell me about being a jet mechanic did did that prepare you in any way for being a comic uh i don't think so other than at the end of my career as a mechanic i became an instructor i started training new mechanics and that's when I found out I was comfortable in front of a group of people. Hmm. You know, that that's a big fear many people have. And I had zero fear of talking in front of a group. So that would be the only, I think that was the only talent that transferred over. I mean, I loved airplanes while I worked on airplanes. But when I was done, I was done. Alonzo, true or false, over the last two weeks, Donald Trump repeatedly told crowds that the U.S. Air Force has an invisible airplane. True. Yes, he said of the F-35, quote, you can't see it. Can I, can I comment on that, You Peter? may, Alonzo. In that when I worked for Lockheed, yeah. I built the F-117, the yeah. original stealth fighter. Yeah. And the biggest problem we had was finding the invisible parts. Oh. You, <laughs> you're trying to put it together. <laughs> And then you're like, oh, man, I got to attach it to the wing. Where'd the wing go? Where'd the wing go? Alonzo, but surely that's a great way to lie about how much work you've done that day. Oh, I made 14 of them. They're right back there. It's, when you think about it, it's the most brilliant government contract ever. Like, yes, give me 100 billion and I will give you 50 invisible planes. Well, I mean, sure, you fly a ton. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, because yeah. you tour. You tour as a comedian. I mean, is it different flying when you know exactly how the plane works? Well, it's um, it's actually, I guess, I don't worry about it. I have a friend, a comic friend, Pete Corielli. He's a New York guy. Anyway, Pete had a big fear of flying, and then I explained it to him. I explained it to him 
how planes fly. I explained to him the redundancy of safety systems. And he said, you know, ever since then, I haven't been afraid. <laughs> so wow. I guess that was a, a thing. I wasn't one of those kids that grew up looking up in the sky, loving airplanes. My motorcycles are the love I have like that. To me, airplanes were a, a job, you know. It Why was do you love motorcycles? As, as a mother, I just think, oh, I, I hope <laughs> no one in my beloved family ever gets on one. Ah, uh, wow. It is such... The, the best way I can explain it, when I was a kid, I was about seven years old, I think, and my grandparents had a farm in South Carolina, and they rented land out to another family, and their son had a motorcycle, and he would put us on the back and ride up and down this dirt road, and it still feels like that, if that makes sense. It's still that amazing, that much fun. There, There's a freedom to it. And um, it's meditative to me. Do you put ladies on the back of your motorcycle? You know, I had I had one girlfriend who we rode together all the time. And my speed governor was a smack to the side of my helmet. That's how I knew I was going too fast. It was like, oh, okay, slow down. I got it. Do you ever want to settle down? With, do you want to get married? You know, um, I, I don't think about getting married. I'm open to getting married. Uh, I almost did it once. But, you, you know, something about being a road comic, I'm just used to being alone and doing stuff alone. And then as you become an old bachelor, I think you just, you, you know, you get kind of set in your ways. I think that has something to do with it. Then there's, you know, heavy duty emotional problems. <laughs> <laughs> of, of being single, you mean? No, no. I, I've always, it's always been difficult for me to fully connect with somebody. And um, it's just something I've never... I don't know. I, Why? I just I don't know. It's, Were you close um, with your mom? Yeah, yeah. I'm very close with my mom. My mom's who I get my sense of humor from. Um, but it's a matter of trusting it. It's a matter of, you know, they say you have to love yourself to be in love with somebody or to let someone love you or yeah. whatever. And I've never mastered loving myself. I, I live in not good enough. Alonzo Bowden, really? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, everyone can hear the voice. You're six foot four, <laughs> handsome. I mean, you're, I don't know how much Yiddish you speak, dude, but you're a mocker. You know what that is? <laughs> I do not know you're, what that is. You're a big guy. I've like, heard mensch. Well, you're a mensch mocker. too, but like you're kind of a big deal. You're handsome, successful, funny. Well, thank you. And that's probably on the outside, but on the inside, it's like not, not quite there. Haven't quite made it. Oh my um, gosh. Alonzo, can I remind Alonso. you of something? You gave your kidney to your brother. Yeah, yeah. But that, see, to me, that that's one of those, like, who wouldn't? Even though I have found out since that I guess a lot of people wouldn't. But um, my brother and I, we've always been good friends besides being brothers. And when he, when his kidneys started failing and he got down to where he needed dialysis... I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, if you can use mine, I'll give you one. Like, it, it was never even a, an issue. Do you so, have a favorite, wait, wait, don't tell me, memory? Um, I love listening to Mo think out loud. Oh, yeah. It is the most roundabout thought process. <laughs> Mo, this week, scientists at Texas State University observed a deer doing something they had never seen a deer do before. What? Oh. 
molting. I don't know what 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 I mean. Something that deers don't do. Well, they, it's not something we associate with deers, really, uh, ever. Okay, they uh, um, crossing their legs and reading. No. Uh, <laughs> In a, in a dentist office. <laughs> this is uh, this is this is one of those moments where I'm caught between wanting to give you a hint or just wanting to hear you go on. I went in, or, in a in a hair salon with one of those old style things. That'd be like awesome. Over <laughs> Gossiping. Gossiping, right? Yeah. Getting a pedicure. Uh, a deer. What? I mean, there's so many things that deers don't do. I mean, I could, we could be here. For, we could be here for weeks. That's true. I oh. mean, getting doing its taxes. <laughs> We said deer, not president. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the show we did, the, the all-black show with me and Brian and Phoebe. Phoebe Robinson. Yes, yeah. That was fun because Brian was just having too much fun. Do you think, I mean, I, like pound for pound, yeah. do, you, do you feel like these guys are like the supervillains from a John Hughes movie from the 80s, but like grown up. Yeah, this was definitely, I mean, when you look at Paul Ryan, yeah. that, hey, hold on. you're that looking guy? at a kid that got beat up every Man. day. <laughs> every day, yeah. every, <laughs> Alonzo. Actually, the first string bullies wouldn't even beat him. They let the trainees work on him. <laughs> They're like, yeah, go on and beat on Paul for a while. We'll move you up in a year. Yeah. Listening to Peter interview George Clinton. Oh, um, I was on that show with you. Remember that? He, that my husband still <laughs> quotes that interview. It was un. It was out of this world, wasn't it? It was fantastic because because I don't think Peter realized that like Parliament and P Funk, that's a whole world. That's a whole reality that they created. I mean, Alonzo was saying backstage that the whole point of the music was to get people to dance. Is that right? I mean, cause... Well, he asked me who was Sir Nose devoid of funk. And I tried to explain to him the whole story and how Sir Nose was a bad guy in Flashlight. He finally broke down. Right. And that has to be the biggest party song ever written, right? I mean, when Flashlight... When you hits... get busted in your butt by the bop gun in the Flashlight... Your booty will betray you. <laughs> How do you not understand I that, understand Peter? That. Okay. Are there are there panelists whom you look up to? Well, I mean, I love working with you because of the notes. <laughs> oh, thanks <laughs> a lot. Like, thanks no, a lot really, <laughs> it's it's because it's like, wow, she does homework. She's gonna know answers. <laughs> um, that's fun, and of course, Paula. What You know what I love about Paula, uh, and this is the comparison I give to everybody, Paula to me is like a singles hitter, right? Paula's always swinging for the joke, every, you know, just slapping jokes all over the field. I'm, I'm more like a home run guy. I'm waiting for that pitch where I could swing and hit one out of the park. So I love working with Paula because I think our styles of humor, uh, there's a big contrast, but they work together. And, and the other thing I love about Paula is, you know, when Paula's on, like, it's Paula's world. We're just living in it. Paula, breakfast is about to get a lot more boring. Cereal maker General Mills announced this week they're going to do what? I think it's a mistake. They're going to take the color out of tricks. They are. They're yeah. going to remove all their artificial colors from cereal. Yeah, I don't think that's right. You know? You no, I don't. You know, I mean, if you're going to have tricks, let's just call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, Just go for it. Have the... I have all the colors, 
And they're Reese's, right? They have a Reese's cereal. They do. They have a Reese's peanut butter crunch cereal. Yeah. And they're going to change the color of that, too, to pretend that it was somehow healthy. Yeah. I think once you're calling it Reese's peanut butter crunch cereal, you know, you've already put yourself in a particular category, and there's really no point. With Paula's point, I mean, it's true. If, if you're that kind of parent that you're worried about that and you're going to some natural food store, right. and they, are you suddenly going to say, oh, tricks? Well, I didn't know. I mean, I, I just don't see that, you know, the Whole Foods crowd suddenly rushing to the General Mills yeah. aisle. Saying, well, now that these are a dull and unattractive color, I shall feed them to my children. <laughs> They're organic tricks. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually trying to eat a little bit uh, healthier. Uh, uh, and uh, so now um, I'm not buying Captain Crunch. I just go by the aisle and thank him for his service. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in Queens, did you go to comedy clubs when you were young? Were you no. exposed? To, no? No. No. Uh, I went to a comedy club once before I became a comic. What? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I watched comics on TV, in the movies. I had comedy records. You know, uh, remember, I come from a blue-collar background, right? My dad was a sanitation guy. My mom was an accounting clerk. Uh, I, w- I was raised with go to school, get a job. It's what I did. I learned to build airplanes, fix airplanes. I got a job doing that. So entertainment was this world that I never thought of. You know, you know, you didn't, I never thought, oh, I'm going to get in the show business. I didn't have that that dream or I wasn't I was funny. I could always make people laugh, but I never thought of doing it for a living. Um, can you just tell me a little more about your mom? You said you said oh, you got your mom, funny from her. Yeah, my mom is funny. It's that old Southern, you know, black people in the South just have this, I don't know, kind of matter of fact looking at life and breaking things down and making things simple or just saying something completely unexpected. And that's my mom. My mom just makes me laugh. And and she never stops laughing. You know, um, hmm. she's been battling cancer. So she had to do radiation and chemo and she didn't get sick. The nurse was like, I don't, what, what is, how do you not get sick? And my mom just looked at her and said, black women don't get sick days. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just things like that. What does she think and of what you're doing now? She loves it. Yeah. She, she absolutely loves it. You know, one of the great things about what I do is getting to share it with other people. So... For her 80th birthday, I took her on this uh, Mediterranean cruise I was doing so that she'd get to see Europe because she was like, I always wanted to see Europe. And my dad was like, I've been to Europe. And my mom, and she never misses a beat. There's never a pause. That was World War II. It's changed since then. (laughs) (laughs) And and So I got to take her to Europe. That's one of the highlights of my life, getting, you know, getting to do that for my mom. So... But I mean, so. it must be kind of a big deal to your to your family, as you put it. You you grew up in a blue collar family from from Queens. Yeah, they they love it. They love again. The, the, like my nieces and nephews love the fact that I know famous people and that I'm on TV periodically. Um, you know, my brother is is my best critic, my most honest critic of what I do on stage, but he gets a kick out of it. I think he likes when his friends recognize me or when people recognize the name, 
when I was on Last Comic Standing, he was a computer marketing guy at the time. So he's going out on sales calls, doing whatever they do, you know. And some guy was like, wow, Bowden, do you know Alonzo Bowden? My brother's like, used to beat him up. (laughs) (laughs) Alonzo, I'm so happy to talk with you and to learn all this. I didn't know all this about you. This was fantastic. Thank you, Faith. This was really fun. After the break, Roxanne Roberts looks back on 20 years of being a panelist. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Walmart Grocery Pickup. With Walmart Grocery Pickup, you don't even have to get out of your car. Order your groceries online and let them do the shopping and loading for you. Get fresh groceries and save time. Visit walmart.com grocery today and get $10 off your first order with trial code don't wait. There are more ways to Walmart. First order only, $50 minimum, expires January 31st, 2019. Support for this podcast also come from Bombas. Bombas has re-engineered socks for ultimate comfort by getting rid of that annoying toe seam, adding art support, and using some of the world's softest cotton. And for every pair purchased, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. To date, they've sold and donated over 10 million pairs. To feel the Bombas difference, go to B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash wait for 20% off your first order. Roxanne Roberts has been a staple of Wait Wait since the beginning. But while the rest of the Wait Wait panelists want to win laughs, Roxanne Roberts just wants to win. Okay, Roxanne, we have to start with a very pressing question. Okay, pressing question. I read in some bio of yours that you're a gingerbread aficionado. I am a very serious gingerbread aficionado. Tell I'm a, me what that I'm means. I'm a cookie decorator. Well, uh, decorated cookies were my gateway drug. Um, <laughs> and uh, at Christmas time, um, I would always make Christmas cookies, and they started to get more and more elaborate. And I'm essentially self-taught. And then about 12 years ago, I was like, I want to try you know, a gingerbread competition. And so I entered the National Gingerbread House competition, which I have done now four times, I guess. The Venn diagram for me is reporter in the middle and uh, cookie cake gingerbread person, Martha Stewartish, and then poker player. So there's very few little overlapping. Um, and the people that know me as a reporter are shocked about the cookies and gingerbread, and the cookie and gingerbread people are sort of shocked about the poker. And, you know, I find it all perfectly. The the the, the thread between them all is competitiveness. Okay, Roxanne, well, you just, you just assigned the word to yourself, competitive. Yes. Everyone on Wait Wait knows that you are competitive, and I kind of love that you're unapologetic about it. You're competitive. I am competitive. I think you and I are the only ones who either are competitive or cop to it. Carl, did Roxanne do well enough to win? She needed three to tie, but Roxanne had six correct. Oh, my God. And dominated. Roxanne Roberts is this week's champion. She needed seven to win outright, and she had seven. Oh, my God. So with 17 points, Roxanne Roberts is this week's champion. Well done. Roxanne Roberts is this week's champion. There you go. Well, I think that um, when you say that, I'm competitive with myself. I am not a comedian. Um, I don't even try to be a comedian. That's not my role on the show. What but do you my think skills- your role is on the show? 
I think, um, well, it started out as the role of being female and to ask questions, to sometimes bring things back to, wait a minute, you know, when when things start to go off the rails. <laughs> I ask a lot of questions of the other panelists and our guests. I, I, I do think that is all involved in your role in the show, but I will add there are those occasional moments where it's such a gem where you say, you know, it's some political story or some D.C.-based story, and you kind of say, uh, ex- you know, I happen to have been at that party where such and such <laughs> happened, or I remember sitting next to that person. We were so excited because, Roxanne Roberts, you were there at the I whole event. So, so what I happened? Was there. Is well, it true that he said she looked hotter than her picture on the money? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have to tell you a funny story. Um, there was a garden party at the British Embassy on the day of the state dinner. So I was at that, and I actually chatted with the prince briefly, but not the queen, and she was walking up to me, and I sort of looked at her close up, face on, first time I'd done that, and there was a soldier standing right next to me. And I said, you know, I said, I never realized that the queen is really stacked. (laughs) (laughs) And he said to me, she was very attractive when she was a younger woman. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, she's really, you know. <laughs> For the radio audience, Roxanne is gesturing toward the bosom. <laughs> That's just some more of that fine Washington Post political report. <laughs> you know, I've always, I've always believed that um, Wait, Wait is a show for smart people who love news. Because if you're not smart, you don't get the jokes. If you're not following the news Monday through Friday, you don't get the jokes. Um, and it's a way for all of us to process everything that happens every week. Is that how the show was pitched to you 20 years ago? Because you were on the very first show on January 3rd, 1998. This is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, NPR's weekly news quiz. And here's your host, NPR's Man in Iowa, Dan Coffey. Thank you, Carl Castle. And welcome to our debut broadcast. Today's what I remember, and this could be revisionist history, as most history is, they originally started with three or four Washington journalists talking about the news, and it was deadly because they were all busy being sort of talking heads. And then, according to the tale that was told, is that they went to New York and sort of envisioned that they'd have the Algonquin table, and everybody was, you know, very... Um, supercilious and 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 so smug that it was impossible. Um, and so then they basically said to anybody at NPR, okay, who do you know that knows the news is in, and is funny? You've been on the show for 370 appearances. Okay. You've been with Wait, Wait since the very, very beginning. First what, show? What, yep. Yeah. What have been the biggest changes since you started, a- apart, of course, from the fact that when it started, there was no live audience? Peter would say that it's a much better show over the years, and and I would say that's undoubtedly true, and I haven't heard the recordings from way back in the day, um, and I'm sure that it is a much better show. Our first question goes to Peter Sagal. Peter, listen to the following. (laughs) Can you tell us where those sounds were recorded this week? Uh, Times Square for the New Year's Eve party. I wish it were that happy a situation. Uh, Anybody else? 
Would that well, be on the United to- flight? Good, Roxanne. Oh, good. yes. Oh. Yeah, the turbulence. It's, it's the turbulence. Uh, the video recorded caught that. Uh, aboard United Airlines Flight 826, which was jolted by turbulence, killing one person and injuring That woman 100. sounded happy to me. Is there anyone among the panel you've grown especially close with? I was very close to Carl when mm-hmm. he was on the show. We spent a lot of time together from the very beginning. And so I had... Lots and lots of cab rides going back and forth to the airport with him. What would you and Carl Castle talk about in cab rides? Marriage. We would talk about kids. We would talk about grandkids. We would talk about dogs and (laughs) cats. I think that we are conditioned to think that you know, life happens in these sort of pivotal big moments. And you can go back and say, ah, that that was that big moment that changed my life. Uh, the older I get, the more I'm convinced that life is about a, a thousand or million little small moments that sort of add up. I want to ask you about when you and I happened to make history together because we were on the first all-woman panel. Yes, Roxanne, according to a new study, who not only doesn't love you, but has in fact never loved you. Oh, this is gonna be—is this gonna break my heart? Yes, we're bringing him out now. We have some news for you. No. Is it your dog? No, you're close. Your, your dog cat. loves you. Of course, your cat. My oh, cat. for Let's heaven's see. sakes! See, my cats. Love me. That's what you think. (laughs) No, I know. According to research from the University of Lincoln, cats use you for food and warmth. (laughs) They feel no emotional connection to you whatsoever. Their uh, methodology is fascinating. They tested this by just looking at every cat ever. It's obvious. (laughs) This news, though, comes too late for the thousands of ladies who are like, huh, still no affection. Better get a 12th one. lady, all right, as a cat lady, then are, if, if this study is correct, was this done by dog people, for example? <laughs> were these like dog scientists to... Were there, I was asking if these scientists themselves were dogs. <laughs> oh, I don't think these cats are nice at all. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, they're bad cats. When we're, when we're done studying them, let's chase them and eat them. Yeah. <laughs> Do do you remember anything particular about that show? Did it feel different to you? No. Outside of the fact that it was an achievement, I I don't think any of us on the show behaved differently because it's all women on the show. I do think that one thing that Wait Wait has done is make it normal for women to be smart and funny and accomplished. And for every 11-year-old girl that, you know, or six-year-old girl that's in that back seat listening to the show, I think that's an important message. And I didn't realize that when I first did the show. And I've come to recognize that there are lots of young girls who grew up on us. And that helped inform how they thought about themselves and what was possible. Um, And I always said, yeah, you know, go for it. You can wear high heels and you can toss off a wicked one-liner. I 
I have to ask you something. You and I, if anyone's ever seen a live show, everyone knows that Roxanne and I are the only people who come out on stage with notes. Now, these are not notes for what we're going to say because the show is entirely unscripted. It's because we studied. I write down headlines. I write down news stories. And so I do you. I cram every week. Every I'm on week. the show. Yeah, and I so cram. Everyone and everyone makes fun of us. Exactly. But, but here's the difference. First of all, I forget who it was. Somebody told me you have much better handwriting, so it's easier to cheat off of your sheets than yeah, mine. That's true. I but print very neatly. Here's the difference between you and me, besides legibility, is I've seen you do this. You you actually during the show cross off your sheets any headline that's been mentioned. You're yeah. that organized. All week I'll keep an eye on the news, but on the day of the show I'll sit and go over all the news headlines, uh, I, and it irritates the hell out of I me when I miss a news me story. Me too. You, we're exactly the same in this. You yeah. probably don't eat as much chocolate as I do on a day of a show. I always prepare because I think that's what I'm supposed to do. If someone said, Roxanne, you can go on Wait, Wait, but you're not allowed to look at a newspaper for the week, I would be, like, panicked. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, no, I have to study. <laughs> That's Roxanne Roberts. Next time on Wait, Wait, Naked and Ashamed, we'll go behind the scenes to find the most shameful of them all. The staff of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Cruelty. Disappointment. Despair. <laughs> Despair is a good child. Yeah. Name. Yeah. That's next time on Wait, Wait, Naked and Ashamed. I'm Faith Saley. See you next time. 